following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. All right, well, we come to our very last message in the book of Ephesians. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, it's over, or hallelujah, it's the last message, or I don't know. Um, I've enjoyed the series. I don't know about you. I've had a, I've had a good time, and uh, it's been great to be able to share some of what I've been able to soak up over at Regent College and then come and teach that to you. And I just wanted to let you know that after this series, I'll be going on another three-month sabbatical in preparation for the next preaching series. <laughs> so I quite like this arrangement, you know. In between each series, I'll be taken off for three months. Thanks very much. Get the next lot of inspiration. Just kidding. If you're a visitor, just kidding. Uh, all right, so... Where are we? Ephesians. So this, I hope it's been valuable for you. I hope that it's been a blessing. I hope that uh, God's touched your life through the series. And I guess my, my heart would be to say, don't leave it here. Uh, don't stop reading Ephesians. But just keep on coming back to this book. It's a magnificent book of Scripture. And God's got more to teach you through it yet. Right? It doesn't end today. But, but make this book a companion in your life. And keep coming back to the riches that are here. And just keep drinking and soaking yourself in, in what is in Ephesians. Hopefully, I've, this has just given you a taster of what's in this book. And uh, just continue to allow God to transform you and challenge you and change you through what's written uh, in this book. What we're going to do today, I know that we've got uh, one final paragraph or so to cover in Ephesians. And hopefully, we'll get there. Uh, but I want to just step back and do something a little bit different. I want to get the big picture this morning. And look at this book as a whole, because I know that when you're working through a book of the Bible, as we do every year, it's very easy. You get into the minutia of the particular texts, and it's very easy to lose sight of the wood for the trees, and we, we, we can lose sight of what the whole thing is about. And so I want us this morning to step back and look at Ephesians as a whole, and, and I'm going to try and pull together some of the threads and strands that we've been looking at, and just take the macro view of this book and the major themes that we've been looking at. So hopefully that these central themes of, of Ephesians will settle on our hearts, and there'll be some clarity uh, as to what we can take away here. And so the way I want to do this is uh, I've just blatantly stolen the sermon title this morning from someone else, all right? I don't usually do that, but uh, that's what I've done today. I don't know whether any of you have heard of a guy named Watchman Nee, uh, Chinese Christian, lived uh, about the middle of the 20th century, um, church planter, author, speaker, and uh, he, he faced persecution for his faith and spent the last years of his life in prison, a bit like the Apostle Paul. And one of the last books that he wrote was on Ephesians. And it was a compilation of sermons that he had preached through the book of Ephesians. And the title of the book is Sit, Walk, Stand. And I thought that's about the best summary of Ephesians I could think of. Uh, and I didn't even think of it. So rather than try and do any better, I thought I'd just take his title. Because I think that the subtitle of his book is The Process of Christian Maturity. Uh, and so this is the journey, these three postures of the Christian life. This is the process of what it means to, to move towards maturity in Christ. And it follows beautifully the flow of, of Paul's thought through the book of Ephesians, from sitting to walking to standing. So I want to use those three ideas, those three postures of the Christian life, and then look big picture at Ephesians and, and gather together what we've learned, okay? So... The first section of the book that we've looked at 
uh, the first three chapters, really, uh, you could all group around this one word, sit. This is the first posture we need to learn as Christians, is to sit. And the word sit is taken from, specifically, in chapter 2, verse 6, where Paul says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So there's a beautiful description of our position in Christ. That's what that's describing. We're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's not something that's going to happen one day in the future for you. Uh, it's, I know we think, you know, when I die, then I'm going to go to heaven and then I'll be seated in the heavenly realms. But Paul doesn't write it in the future tense. In fact, he, he writes it in the past tense. God seated us in the heavenly realms. That's, an, that's already an accomplished fact. So he's saying that if you're a believer, this is something that, that is true of you now. That you are right now, even though you're sitting in the gym now listening to a sermon, I know you're here on earth, but right now your position before God is that you are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's where you are. That's your place. That is your position. And that position before God is absolutely secure. Because when you became a believer, you received this new identity, and that identity is in Christ Jesus. And so everything that Christ has is now yours. And because Jesus is now seated in the heavenly realms, you are seated in the heavenly realms in Him. Your identity is in Him. Yes? So His life is your life, and His place in heaven before the Father now is your place in heaven before the Father. Because God accepts Christ, He accepts you. God loves you because He loves His Son, Jesus. He accepts you because He accepts His Son, Jesus. You are His beloved because Jesus is His beloved. Everything that Jesus has is yours now. You have a place before God that is absolutely unshakable and unbreakable. And the first task that we have as a Christian is to learn to sit fully in that reality to sit fully in the grace of God and in our place, our identity in Christ, which is firm and secure. Yes? The problem is, I think as Christians, that we want to walk before we sit. I was talking to someone the other day who uh, shared with me um, someone that he knows, a woman he knows who had recently become a Christian. And it was a wonderful story. And, and she had been on this great spiritual journey and had come to a point of giving her life to Christ. And she'd, she'd prayed to, to God and handed her life over to him. It was this amazing moment. But he said as soon as she'd done that, as soon as she'd made this commitment, the very next words out of her mouth were, so what do I need to do? And what are the rules? And now how, now how should I live? And, and what are the commands? Words to that effect, you know? What, where, where's the instruction book for what I'm supposed to do now? And you can understand that. I mean, as a new Christian, you kind of want to know what's what. But isn't it easy how quickly... We go to rules, regulations, instructions, commandments, rather than just learning to sit. And we do it all through our Christian lives, I think. Even those of us that have been around the block a few times in our Christian lives, we still want to make the Christian life about rules and commandments and how we're supposed to live. You know, how much do I have to read the Bible and how much do I have to pray and how often do I have to come to church and how much do I have to serve and all of these questions. And God, the whole time, is just saying to us, I just want you to learn to sit. Would you just sit down? Would you just be seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus as you already are? First and foremost, I want you to sit fully in the grace of God and know that you are mine and I am yours and you are secure in me. That's what God wants you to know. He wants you to learn how to sit fully in him. 
just like you're sitting on that chair now. I look at most of you, and, and you're sitting quite well on your chair. You know, you've got the full weight of your body on your chair, haven't you? You're not crouching half on the ground and half on the chair so that if the chair goes down, you're still sort of supported. But that's often how we live our Christian life. We're kind of, yes, we know we're saved by grace, but I've still got to have a center of gravity over here in my own good works just in case, just so I make myself a little bit more presentable to God, make myself a little bit easier to love, try and have a few points clocked up over here. And God says, forget it. Forget about it. You can't do it. If you try to do it, you'll either end up in self-righteous pride or you'll end up in depressed misery because you can't do it and you knew you couldn't do it. Forget it. Learn to sit fully and completely in the grace of God. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ Jesus. We know this, a lot of it, us, but I think it's hard to live. It's hard to really absorb. I find it hard. I was talking about this uh, on Tuesday night with students in my preaching class and we were talking about how easy it is for our identity as preachers to be bound up with our preaching. That is, we, we, we think that our preaching is who we are. And I said to them, I worry about the day that I stop preaching. Will I know who I am? Or will my identity have become so fused together with what I do that I won't know who I am anymore? And I think that's true for us in a range of ways. You don't have to, have to be a preacher to have that experience. We so easily get our identity from what we do and from what we're good at, and from what other people tell us we're good at, that becomes, we think, who we are. Or, or we get our identity from who other people tell us we are. And God says, that, that's not where your identity comes from. I tell you who you are. Your identity is not in what you do. It's not in whoever says whatever to you. It's not in what anyone else tells you you are. God's already told us who we are. You are loved. You're his children. You're his precious son. You're his precious daughter. So you've got to learn to sit in that. Some of you, I think that's the word that God wants to tell you from Ephesians more than any other, is just sit. Just learn to be seated and learn to rest fully in the grace of God. You are seated in the heavenly realms. It's not about anything that you've done. It's not about anything that you will do. Jesus got you there. He's going to keep you there. You just need to learn to be seated. So sit. That's the first word. That's three chapters right there in just five minutes. Could have saved you a whole lot of sermons. But this is fundamental. And then we come to the second posture of the Christian life in the middle of the book of Ephesians. And this runs from the beginning of chapter 4 through to chapter 6, verse 9. And it's summed up in the word walk. So we learn to sit and then we learn to walk. And it's taken from the first verse in chapter 4. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And we talked about how that phrase, live a life, is all one word in Greek, and it's the word for walk. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. And Paul uses the same word a couple of other times in this section. He, he says, don't, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, he says, be careful how you walk. Uh, not, at, not according to the darkness, but according to the light. And this idea of walking is the idea of living out our faith. It's just the idea of putting our faith into practice, putting our faith into action. So it doesn't just remain at the level of belief. It doesn't just remain at the level of doctrine and theology and having the right answers, but it becomes real and practical and our faith outworks itself in our everyday life, in our relationships, in who we are when no one's looking, in all of the different arenas that we operate during the week. Our faith should make a practical difference to our life. We need to walk. We need to learn to walk. And none of that negates anything we've just talked about with sitting. 
In fact, I think this is why Paul writes Ephesians the way he does, that chapters 1 to 3 have to come first. You can't do chapters 4 to 6 until you do chapters 1 to 3. We've got to learn to sit, and then we can learn to walk. Only then can we learn to walk. If you, if you try and just run off and you, you try to walk, you try to live the Christian life, but you have not yet learned to really rest in who you are in Jesus, you've not really learned to absorb that identity, you are going to be depressed and frustrated and miserable because it's just going to be coming out of self-effort. It's just going to be sheer willpower. It's you trying to be a good person, trying to be a better Christian, just on your own and in your own strength. First, we learn to sit And we never stop sitting, by the way. It's not that you learn to sit for a while and then I'm going to get up out of that and learn to walk. We're always seated in Christ. But the more that we know our identity in Jesus, the more natural it will be for us to express that identity in our everyday lives. The more that we know who we are in Christ, the more natural it will become for us to have our character and our behavior and our conduct reflect that identity. So it's becoming in practice who we already are in reality. We are in Christ, and now we walk like it. Now we live like it. And even though this is a natural process, it's still going to take effort. You can't avoid that. In fact, Paul says in chapter 4, make every effort. Sometimes we don't like talking about effort as Christians. We feel like it's anti-grace. We feel like it's opposed to grace. But you can't avoid, Paul says right here, make every effort. I heard a great quote by Dallas Willard. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. That's the distinction. We should never try and earn our faith. We should never try and earn God's acceptance. We should never try and earn God's favor. You can't. But as those who are accepted by Christ, we are now called to outwork our faith in real life. And that is going to require some effort. And that's not a bad thing. Nothing wrong with effort. We're not talking about just self-effort. We're not talking about you just on your own going out there and flailing away and trying to be a better person. This is coming out of a deepening relationship with Christ. And this is you cooperating with the power of the Holy Spirit who is already within you and already working and already transforming you. But you need to, to step into that and cooperate with the Holy Spirit and partner with the Holy Spirit and the work that He is wanting to do in your life. And that is going to take some effort. It's an unavoidable reality. If you, if you think that you're just going to grow as a Christian by doing nothing, you won't. You just won't. There's plenty of people who, who are saved by grace, but they just continue to live as completely nominal Christians. They don't grow. They don't progress on to any real maturity. They just stagnate. They just plateau in their Christian life. If you think that you're just going to do nothing and continue to grow towards Jesus, continue to be transformed, the the, the trajectory will be in the opposite direction. You'll drift away. You'll drift downstream from him. And before you realize it, you'll, you'll you'll be a long way from where you want to be. If we're serious about maturity in our Christian lives, we need to take responsibility for growth. We need to take responsibility for walking. And that's going to require some effort. It's in God's strength. It's in his power. But it's going to take some effort. If you want to grow, it's not standing still. It's not coasting along. But it's walking out our faith in everyday life. And Paul talks about a whole range of ways in which we do this. And he applies it. We've talked about these to a whole lot of different relationships. He talks about our relationship with the church and being a participating member of the body in the church. Uh, He talks about marriage. 
uh, and showing love and respect between husband and wife. That's a way of working out the gospel in the marriage relationship. He talks about parents and children and how we can outwork our faith and walk out our faith in those areas. He talks about slaves and masters, and we talked about that in the context of treating people who are mistreated. You remember this? And treating people who are downtrodden by other people and seeking to lift them up. All of these are ways of walking. All of these are ways of walking out our faith and living out our faith, and this is what God calls us to do. And it's been great through, through the series over the last couple of months, just hearing story after story after story of how many of you are seeking to do this. And it's been great having the conversations and getting the emails, and, and you've been taking this seriously and actually trying to put this into practice and walking it out. I had a conversation with a guy last week, a dad in our church, who was really challenged around the uh, verse where Paul says, bring your children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And we talked in that message about the importance of prioritizing the church and prioritizing coming to church as a family and how you don't make 52 different decisions to come to church every year. You make one, one decision, and then that's permanent. You decide church is important and you commit, and then that's the decision made. And he said they were challenged by that. They were challenged by God's word around this. And they decided as a family, him and his wife, for their sakes and for the sake of their children, they wanted to put this into practice. They wanted to make church more of a bedrock priority in their family life and really commit to this. And they've made some changes to make that happen. And he wanted to come and share it with me. It was hugely encouraging. And he's done that in response to just reading this scripture, hearing this message, being challenged, and he's walking it out. They're walking it out in their family life. We've got a number of people now serving in different volunteer teams in the church because they've heard God speaking through chapter 4 where Paul says that the role of leaders in the church is to equip the people of God for works of service, that we're each gifted and called to use our gifts and ministry within the body of Christ. And we've got people who have heard that word, stepped into ministry, and they're now serving in all kinds of ways because they're walking out their faith. I know of a couple that's decided to commit to seeing a marriage counselor because of issues in their relationship. And in the background to that is that this Ephesians series and they're hearing God speak and they're wanting to walk out their faith in their marriage relationship and, and put this into practice. We talked about our relationship with our parents and I recommended that book, Forgiving Our Fathers and Mothers. And several people have picked up on that and asked for that book and borrowing copies of that book and they're, they're trying to figure it out and, and process it and, and work out how they can take steps in healing the relationships that they've got, difficult relationships with parents. I got an email this week from a mum of a young, young boy, and she said, every night I'm reading him the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it's a wonderful Bible, and, and she said it's doing so much for me. She's learning so much through reading this to her son, and then she'll, she'll read him a particular story from the Bible, and then she'll go and read the same story in her own version, the adult version of the Bible, NIV or whatever it is, and, and so she's learning through that. And then she said she got to a passage, I think, in Exodus, and she didn't understand it. So she managed to find a message that we'd done here at Shaw on that passage, and that helped her with her understanding of that passage. So it was like this beautiful example of the church and the home all working together. And she's just seeking in a humble way within her family to walk out her faith. People are taking these steps. People are putting it into practice. People are making it real. And so I just encourage you, you know, in response to what we've been talking about, in response to what God has been saying, in response to what's been written here for 2,000 years, what's the next step for you? How are you walking this out? How is this not just remaining at a cerebral level, but becoming real in your life? For every one of us, there is a next step of faith. For every single one of us, there is a next step right there for you. There's a next step. There's something that's, that's a next step in your faith journey. If you don't know what it is, ask God. If you still don't know what it is, talk to someone. 
Talk to one of us here. Talk to a friend. We'll help you figure it out. There is a next step in your faith journey. Are you willing to make it a walk? Not just a, a static thing. Not just a stagnation, but a walk. That's what your faith is. It's a journey. It's a process of maturing in Christ. So what's the next step in that journey for you? So, sit. Walk. And then... Stand. And if you were here last week, this is familiar to you, right? We talked about stand. And this is chapter 6 in Ephesians. And Paul comes and talks about this great spiritual battle that we're fighting and talks about standing in the midst of that. Let me just read you one key verse from that section in uh, chapter 6, verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And we talked about this reality. We are all in a spiritual battle. You can't see it, but that doesn't mean it's not real. And in the midst of that battle, our commandment, our calling as Christians is to stand firm. It's not to fight. You don't need to fight. God fights for you. He's the mighty warrior. He's got all the strength you need. Let him fight your battles. You just lean on him. He'll fight. He'll push back the darkness. But you are called, we are called to stand firm in our faith. Standing firm in the word of God. Standing firm in the grace of God. Standing firm in the power of God. Standing firm in the spirit of God. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Paul says so that after everything is passed, after the battle is finished, you may still be standing. That's our calling. Now, can you see how this makes so much sense in view of sitting and walking? Sit, walk, stand. It's like Paul knew what he was talking about. You know, he wrote the letter a certain way. You try standing firm without first learning to sit in your identity in Christ. What's going to happen? You'll be blown around all over the place because you don't know who you are. You don't yet know that you're deeply loved by Christ and you haven't learned to put the full weight of your life on God. If that's true, when the day of evil comes, you're just going to be blown away like the wind blows the chaff away. And if we try and stand firm and yet we, we're not walking we're not walking with God. We're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not connected to Him. And then all of a sudden, temptation comes, struggle comes. We try and stand. It's going to be so difficult because there's no connection there. We're not, we're not keeping in step with God. And so suddenly we expect to have the strength of His, of his Spirit and His power and His Word. And, 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 but we're, we're totally disconnected. It's not going to happen. As we learn to sit in Christ... As we learn to walk with Jesus, then we're empowered to stand when the day of evil comes. There's a progression to this. There's a logic to this. There's a journey to this. Yeah, Stand firm. And one of the primary ways that we're called to do this, and here's the part we haven't touched on yet, is through prayer. One of the primary ways in which we stand firm in our faith in the midst of the spiritual onslaught, we stand firm against the devil and his schemes, is to pray. And so Paul says in verse 18, chapter 6, and pray in the Spirit. That just means pray in the power of the Spirit. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. It, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, I think, that when we come right to the end of this letter, Paul wants to talk to us about prayer. You know, one thing that's opened my eyes in this series is how much of Ephesians is about prayer. Or maybe more accurately, how much of Ephesians is a prayer. Like so often, Paul just drifts into prayer. You read it again with those eyes, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's like Paul realizes at times, I can't actually convince them of this. 
I can't really get this into them, God. I can say these things. I can write these things. But God, I need you to press this into their hearts. And so Paul just sort of puts down his pen for a while and just, just prays that may the eyes of their hearts be opened. May they be enlightened to know the hope of the calling that we have. That's chapter 1. And then he prays in chapter 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, you would be strengthened with power by his spirit in your inmost beings. I'm praying for that for you right now as I say those words, that God would strengthen you with his power by his Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Paul says, I pray that they might know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's what you need to know. I can't teach you that. I mean, I can say the words, but I can't get that into your heart. I'm so reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word of God to seal it on your heart and get it deep into your soul. And that's why I pray it. That's why Paul prayed it. And then at the end, Paul comes and tells us, now you pray. You be people of prayer. In fact, he even says, please pray for me while I'm in chains. He asks them to pray for him. It's come full circle now. But if we are to sit in the grace of God, walk in the way of Jesus, and stand firm against the devil's schemes, we need to become men and women of prayer. It really is as simple as that. I think our biggest problem in our context is sheer busyness. Is that right? That distracts us. I think that's the number one reason we don't pray or don't pray as much as we should. We're just too busy. We're running around all over the place. We're distracted. We're tired, to be honest. We don't have time for it. We don't have the energy for it. And so it just drifts and we don't pray. But I think of the words of the great reformer, Martin Luther, who once said this, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. He said, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear the, the paradox? He's saying, I'm so busy, I'm going to have to spend more time praying. Now, the point is not that you spend two or three hours praying every morning. I think, honestly, that's completely unrealistic. But there's a paradigm shift here I want you to catch. See, for most of us, we say, well, I'm too busy to pray. I've got too much going on in my life. I just don't have time for prayer. For Luther, he was too busy not to pray. Do you see the difference? He was too busy not to. The more busy he became, the fuller his inbox got. The more tasks he had stretched out ahead of him for that day and that week, the more he was driven to prayer because he knew something, that it is through our busyness and our schedules and our commitments that the devil gets in and gets a foothold. It's through our back-to-back, wall-to-wall schedules where we have no margin for anything else that the evil one creeps in. It's through the sheer exhaustion of life that the evil one, the enemy, comes in and just starts to niggle and starts to agitate. And through the weakness that we experience in those moments, he manages to seduce us back to old temptations and old habits that we thought we'd left behind. Through our busyness, the devil comes in and he starts to just gently draw us away from God so we stop noticing God's presence. We stop connecting with God. And we stop even worrying about the fact that we've not connected to God until we wake up one day and realize how far downstream we've floated from God's presence, that we're totally disconnected from him. And this is the scheme of the devil, to draw us away from God by making us prayerless people. The only remedy to this 
is that we recommit ourselves to being people who faithfully and earnestly and genuinely and regularly pray to God. And, and I don't mean like two or three hours at the beginning of the day. I mean praying as you go through the day. I mean praying on the go. I mean weaving it in. Just weave it into life. Just talk to God. Just weave it into everyday life. I mean, I've been challenged by this just in the last week. Uh, I've been spending a bit of time driving from meeting to meeting, spend a bit of time in the car, driving across the city, different things, different commitments. And often when I'm driving, I'll put on the radio. And I've just sensed this week, I guess because this passage has been in my head, been a few times that I've literally, my finger has been raised to turn the radio on. And I've just had this prompting, which I hope is the Holy Spirit. I can never be totally sure. Just this prompting. Just talk to me. Just talk to me. You don't need the radio right now. Just talk to me. There's this sense of God waiting and God being open and God saying, I, I'd love to, love to talk with you, love to hear from you once in a while. And so I prayed. And I'm taking Paul at his word too because he says pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. So sometimes I'm just finding myself praying about the most mundane, trivial things. It's not always praying for you, I hate to tell you. I do pray for you, but I also just pray about all kinds of random things. Sometimes just praying for whatever's in my head at the time, rather than making it just a stream of consciousness in my own head, make it a stream of conversation with God. Because what you're doing is you're keeping the communication channels open. What you're doing is you're keeping an open line to God. You're keeping an open connection with Him. Just through the sheer pleasure of just talking with him and he loves to hear you pray don't ever feel like anything's too trivial for him don't you can pray about the, the car in front of you if you want just that nothing is off limits just pray he just loves to hear his children talk he just loves to hear his children children talk to him and so pray with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests because it keeps you connected to God and if you get to the end of the day and you haven't prayed don't feel guilty and beat yourself up that's the other scheme the devil would have the devil always plays both sides of the table. First, he'll tempt you, and then when you succumb to the temptation, he'll come around the other side of the table and accuse you. He's the accuser. He's a dirty street fighter. But don't let him get the upper hand. If you haven't spent that day with much of a connection to God, okay, you come back to God. Father, I'm sorry I haven't been that connected with you today. I thank you that you love me anyway. Your grace never changes. I'm still seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, right? That's always true. And so, Lord, tomorrow... I want to walk with you. Thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so tomorrow as I wake up, would you help me to walk with you again? Don't let, him beat you. Don't let the devil beat you up with guilt and load you up with shame. You just draw near to God and tell him whatever is on your heart. So may we become people of prayer. And let's not make prayer more complicated than it needs to be. It is simply talking to God and turning our hearts toward him. And you will find... That as you make this a regular practice and habit, just woven into the fabric of your life, that when the temptation comes and when the battles come and when the bullets start flying, you are more able in the power of God to stand firm because you're already connected to your heavenly Father. So, sit, walk, stand. That's Ephesians. That's all you need. That's the pocket guide to Ephesians. And I pray that you can take it with you. And you know, Paul finished this letter. He got to the end. He sent it off with this guy, Tychicus. Funny name. At the end of the book, he gives the letter to Tychicus. And off goes Tychicus. 
off to Ephesus to give this letter to all of these churches around uh, the city of, Ephesian, uh, of Ephesus, various churches, and it would have been read out in those churches, and we don't know how they responded to it. We don't have that record. We hope they were encouraged by it and challenged by it, um, just as, as we have been. You don't know how they responded, but you do have a decision as to how you're going to respond to it. You do have that decision as to how you respond to God's word, because the letter wasn't just written to them. It's written to you. It's written to all of us. It's not just verses in the Bible. It's not just a sermon series that comes and goes. This is God's word to you. And he's asking you, how are you going to respond? And I just encourage you to reflect as we finish. Which of those three words is God speaking into your life today? Three simple words. But which one is God just pressing on your heart? Which one is for you? Is it sit? Some of you, God's just saying, I want you to sit down. Would you just sit down? Would you just learn to put the full weight of your life on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? That is the message for some of you, is to do absolutely nothing but sit, which sometimes is the hardest thing to do. Others of you, God's saying, I want you to walk. There's an area of your life I want you to learn to walk. There's an area of temptation that together we are going to defeat. There's an area of your character that's fractured, and I want to mend it. There's a relationship that needs addressing, and I want to give you the strength to address it. There's a conversation that needs to be had, and I want to give you the courage to have it. God's encouraging some of you to take a next step and walk. And for others of you, it's a call to stand. God is saying to you, I know it's hard. I know it is beyond you. I know you've come to the end of your resources, but you lean on me, and I will give you all the power you need to stand firm. And he's calling you in the midst of that battle to be a man of prayer, to be a woman of prayer to fight that battle on your knees so that you realize it's not you fighting at all. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You lean fully upon him. You stand your ground in prayer. Let me pray for you. Lord God, now I pray that you would come and press your word on our hearts. Lord Jesus, your word says that You'll never send forth your word and have it returned to you void. You'll never send forth your word without it accomplishing that for which you send it. And so we trust, Lord, that as your word has gone forth over these last few months, as your word has been spoken, as your word's been read, Lord, we trust that you are at work. We trust that you're moving. We trust that you're working. We trust that you're giving freedom and grace and peace and strength just as we each need to receive it. We trust in your work, Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us in these ways. Help us to sit deeply in your grace. Help us to walk faithfully with you, Jesus. And help us to stand firm when the day of evil comes. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that in all this you are so good and you are so faithful and you have blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we're your children and that we are loved by you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its authority. Thank you, Lord, that the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shore Community Church, visit 
www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shore.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.